Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on today's podcast, we're going to have a little bit of a shorter form episode. Again, I've just run out of time to really get anything watched for the podcast. I did get a few things watched, but there is some other news kind of stuff that I want to talk about um, that I was going to talk about last week, but didn't have time to sit down and record and um, and also go over the um, the contest rules and also to officially uh, announce that the podcast is now on iTunes as well as SoundCloud and Podbean. So you can um, go over to iTunes and subscribe and, and review and leave a rating uh, if you have a few seconds. really helps with uh, kind of making the podcast become more visible to other people and show up on something that they might like to uh, check out and listen to. Uh, so if you have a few seconds, please head over there and and do that if you are so kind. Uh, and also just you know subscribe or or follow on on Podbean, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, just to kind of keep updated when new episodes drop. So, all right, um, go over the contest rules here again for um, the Avengers Endgame 4K digital copy code. Um, We've had one entry right now, and um, so if other people want to get in, the contest ends on the 29th, which will be the day before I record the next episode, which will announce the winner. So the rules are just, like previously said, head on over to those uh, either three sites, wherever you follow the podcast, and make sure you're subscribed or following, and... um, if you're so kind to head on to that iTunes, I know I'm kind of rambling on about that, and and leave a review and a rating. Um, also, to follow my Twitter at CriticsNTCynics, uh, as well as either you can either DM or uh, write in to the podcast at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com with your favorite Avenger and why, or your favorite MCU moment and why. Um, and then I will read those on the episode that will announce the winner and we'll, um, and we'll see who wins the, the digital code. All right. I, as you can probably tell, I'm not necessarily at my 100% right now with my <laughs> podcast, but uh, just kind of rambling together, getting all my thoughts together. I just wanted to make sure I could record an episode today and and have something whether it's brief or or normal length episode i think it's going to be a little bit on the brief side but some things that i want to talk about um that have kind of been in the twitter verse of things or just kind of something that's going on that i've i've seen a lot more of and i know crystal at the horror nights End podcast had kind of commented on a situation where um plagiarism seems to be kind of rearing its ugly head again uh, from some people and the first place I saw this at was uh, from John Squires at Bloody Disgusting um, pointing out that this other horror site was taking his articles like a day or or two or even just a couple hours after he would post articles to his site and essentially ripping off his articles and the one thing I saw that uh, John was commenting on was that um, he was being made out to be the bad guy. And I don't agree with that because he was providing uh, evidence and proof 
that um, you know he would present his article and then a screenshot of the article that was uh, plagiarizing his work and all he simply was really asking for was to make sure that they were giving credit where credit's due and that's one thing that I try to make sure I do here on the podcast I know on the previous episode I think I mentioned something that John had said on Twitter and I wanted to make sure that you know I was giving him his due credit for that because you know although I agree with it I'm not the originator of the thought like it's not coming from my own my own thoughts like we we can all have opinions and all have ideas that are very similar and we can almost even word it very similar but at the same time uh when something is so blatantly close like you might change one or two words around to try to hide your your deceit uh then there's a real issue so one thing i always try to make sure i do on this podcast is if i am presenting someone else's thoughts and in agreement with my own to make sure that I'm giving them their their due diligence their due credit because uh, it's not fair especially if it's you know even though bloody disgusting is fairly big and the other site might have been relatively small you know this is a small podcast too and if someone were on a bigger podcast or, or a site or something were to attend take my words and then present it as their own you have no way to really kind of fight back against that or to, um, you know, go after that and say, hey, give me my credit, you know, or, or don't do this. This isn't right. If you want to quote me or cite me, that's fine. But don't try to take my words as your own without giving the credit where credit's due. So um, I, I know that there was something also going on with a true crime podcast where uh, the the hosts of that podcast were... Uh, plagiarizing um their their work and uh now as far as i saw and i and this was crystal's take on it and i'm i'm pretty much in her camp on this uh it's not a podcast i listen to it's not a podcast i'm familiar from what it sounds like it's a fairly popular podcast in the sense that they do live shows um and that they might have some advertising uh endorsements or or some such but uh regardless of that like since, since it's a podcast that I don't listen to and I don't know who they're allegedly uh, getting their information from or, or plagiarizing their information from we need to see the evidence first like the thing in John's situation was John provided the context and provided documentation to show that his work was being directly plagiarized so again I don't understand how he got to be made out the villain in that situation maybe because it was seen as he's from a bigger site and they have more clout more power that now they're clamping down on a smaller site that's more independent and that they don't have the ability to kind of defend themselves financially or legally if that were if it were to come to that and I don't even really think that that was John's stance John's stance was just hey don't take my work pass it off as your own if you want to cite me if you want to quote me then then that's fine and i can agree with that um so i don't i can't say the same necessarily right now with this true crime podcast because this true crime podcast is again not something i've listened to and i would need to have the direct context i would need to see kind of back-to-back uh, documentation that proves that shows that they were lifting this um, 
material and then trying to pass it off on their own and if they did then yes that you know whatever punishment that uh is seen fit or or is deemed necessary should be done like it's that's just the state of the matter um if you plagiarize then you know that's on you and you deserve whatever legal ramifications that are going to come from it so uh you know it's something that i i want to make sure that if if it's ever done here on this podcast, if I ever kind of say something and I forget to cite it, that is not my intent. Um, I do this without really any notes as kind of my intro uh, on this episode might uh, kind of give you evidence of. I kind of just jumped in and I kind of find my, my thoughts like Michael Scott in the office. You know, sometimes I start a sentence and then uh, I uh, try to find it along the way, you know. Um, I find it easier for me. I, I'm not really much of a note taker. I feel like I'm more uh, natural or it's it's more um, beneficial for me to just kind of go straight from the heart. And yeah, it might lead to a few bits of rambling or, or th- things that don't make sense, but uh, it, it helps my mind a little bit. It's still things that like I want to try to keep focus on and, and follow through on. So, um, you know... It, it might happen where I might forget to give someone the credit, but I think I tend to try to do a good job if I say, you know, well, Crystal and I had this discussion and this was Crystal's take on that. I'm not going to kind of present, especially in a sense like that. I'm never going to pass off someone's opinion that I don't necessarily even agree with as my own without, you know, well, I'm going to present their side of it and um, then kind of rebut it if I have a different take on it because you know what good does it do for me to kind of say oh yeah this is so not uh, this is an opinion or this is blah 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 but here's my stance on it you know without giving the credit to that person like it just doesn't really lead into any uh, credibility in my opinion so you know uh, and and then sometimes it can happen by mistake like I said if this was something, especially with this true crime podcast, if it was a one-time thing and they came out and said, yes, we did this, it was by complete accident, it was not our intent, you know, I think that that's fine. Um, now, if it's something where it's a continu- continuous habit or continuous action and they're doing it constantly, then, you know, you can't really give them that leeway anymore. And I think that was where John's final line was with this. Uh, I can't remember the other site, but, you know, he was saying, like, hey, this isn't the first time, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be the last time, but stop, you know, ripping off my articles, please. And I think that goes for any content creator, you know, if because it, it, the the content that you're creating is a little bit it's it's a part of you you're pouring yourself into it i'm like pouring myself into this podcast everything may not be 100 percent perfect but i still care about this show and care about my audience and my integrity and you know when if someone were to take something and and do that then yeah i'm gonna be really upset you know regardless of if i have 10 listeners or if i have 10,000 listeners you know it's 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 my baby. It's a part of me. I'm pouring my heart and my soul into it. So, you know, it's just some, some food, uh, for thought. It was something I kind of wanted to talk about. I was going to bring it up last week, uh, kind of more when the stuff was going down, but, uh, you know, just didn't have time to sit down and record. So, um, that's kind of my take on that. And, uh, the next thing I would like to kind of discuss about is the, um, current news with, 
uh, Marvel and Sony and the fate of Spider-Man. And right now, you kind of see this um, divide where you have fans that are upset with Marvel, you have fans who are upset with Sony, and I think I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't think Sony's 100% at fault at this, and I don't think Marvel's 100% at fault at this. But the problem is the fans are who lose in this situation. Um, it's not the corporations who are just profiting off of the the franchise and off of the massive hit that Avengers Endgame was, um, or even just Spider-Man Far From Home. When you have this kind of dueling um, negotiation to kind of get more money. I mean, that's, that's really what this comes down to, in my opinion. It's not who treated Stanley well or who didn't. I don't quite 100% believe uh, his daughter in that situation. There is some shady uh, stuff. I don't feel, with, with the stuff that I've seen, special features-wise, and with you know them doing the kind of Stanley memorial at the beginning of Captain Marvel, um, I don't feel like Marvel completely mistreated or Disney rather completely mistreated uh, Stanley. I think there were individuals that were in in his life that mistreated Stanley, but I don't feel like um, the company itself necessarily mistreated him. Otherwise, I don't see him doing the cameos, although he might have done the cameos for his fans, because, uh, you know, he was a complete giver to his fans. Um, so I don't know how much I believe in his daughter in that. There's there's some allegations that she uh, mistreated her father and uh, was trying to get money out of him. And so I, I, I don't know. Um, allegedly. Allegedly, she did these things. Um, and I don't know exactly where... I fall on her statement of that. Now, where Sony is trying to say, well, we wanted to keep this going with Marvel but uh, or with Disney, but Disney said that Feige was too busy with getting the new franchises of, of X-Men and Fantastic Four, that, they couldn't, that he couldn't really kind of spare his time to, um, you know, oversee Spider-Man as well. Um, I don't know I 100% believe that. My... My thinking is that Sony went in there thinking with the hits that were Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and Venom that they could flex some muscle now and try to get more uh, profit off of the MCU Spider-Man. And Disney is in a position where they can easily say, no, that ain't going to happen. We're, we're not going to give in to your silly demands. And so... Um, what Sony doesn't really keep in mind is that Venom domestically was not a wasn't a flop, but it wasn't a huge box office success. It was overseas in China in the China market that Venom really blew up in the box office. So yes, that kind of helped inflate their numbers and and Spider-Verse was a hit, but Spider-Verse was also its own thing and animated. So it didn't need to have any connections to the MCU. Now, where you have the problem with Tom Holland's Spider-Man is that um, he's now become very integral to the MCU. You know, we've we've seen him. He is a part of it. He's a part of the Avengers. He's a part of the bigger world now. 
especially after Endgame and especially after Far From Home, that it's almost virtually impossible to then just remove him without nothing short of like killing him or something like that. But it, it's, it's virtually impossible now to kind of walk that back a little bit and be like, oh, well, here we're going to have a standalone Spider-Man movie and we cannot reference anything of the greater MCU universe. Now, if even though these talks have kind of fallen apart and then there's a will they, won't they thing going on right now, I think um, really what everyone's going to do is kind of wait. I think Sony's going to wait to see how the fans initially react. I think they're going to wait to see how the stock market reacts. Uh, pers primarily their stocks, not necessarily the greater stock market. But um, and, and I think Disney is just going to hold their ground because they can like, even though this is kind of a loss and a hit on their nose, they still have all these other franchises and mainline characters that they can keep on going, making uh, almost a billion dollars in, in a box office run versus one character. So the only thing that kind of I, I'm excited about, if it were to just stick with Sony, is now it'll be easier for them to introduce Venom and have a Venom Spider-Man crossover, but I was more of the mind that I would have rather Venom entered into the MCU versus Tom Holland's Spider-Man leaving the MCU. And also, it kind of comes down to, like, how, how do you do it? I know we're going to get an introduction to the multiverse with Doctor Strange. Um, is it that he's going to fall into a, a multiverse, into a an Earth, into the Venom Earth where there was no Spider-Man? Or however you're going to handle that. And I was more of the mind that I wish that Sony and, and Mar uh, Marvel slash Disney could have uh, kind of more solidified their partnership because I, I've said for a long time, even before they did Into the Spider-Verse, that they needed to do a live-action Spider-Verse and have Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man meet up with Tom Holland's. I think it's it would be a perfect send-off for Andrew Garfield, who never got his third movie, and, and in fact, I would say, I would go as far as to say that you kill Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man or you kill Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, one of the two. I, I lean more towards Andrew because his Spider-Man didn't really get the kind of full shake. And, and I know, in all honesty, the Amazing Spider-Man series, the, the two movies, don't get enough credit for what they, what they were. I, I, I know a lot of people really didn't like 2 because of kind of how campy it was, but... I liked it. Like Electro as a villain really worked for me in that movie, and and the, his reasoning for becoming a villain in that film. So I, the what didn't work was of course the Green Goblin, but I, I don't think that worked for anybody. And I was really kind of excited to see where they were going with it. So I I feel like it would be great for them to give him a swan song, um, and and also just to kind of throw homage for Tobey Maguire, who kind of you know was at the start of the whole kind of superhero golden age in film so i i really think that both marvel slash disney and sony are both at fault i'm not gonna you know there's the boycott sony thing right now there's kind of the boycott marvel thing going on right now i'm not gonna do that you know uh they at the end of the day they're two companies they're going to do what they're going to do i'm still going to see i know tom holland's still contracted for two more spider-man movies so you know, I'm still going to see those movies despite how difficult it may be for them to separate the, the from the MCU. So I, I don't know. I'm, you know, we'll see how 
the whole situation plays out because like as soon as they announced that he was going to be leaving the MCU then there were people saying oh wait sounds like they're going to bring him back and then now you have the comments from Tom Holland and Kevin Feige and then now it sounds like he's back out of the MCU so I, we still have time until the next Spider-Man movie is going to be made so who knows you know at some point either Disney's going to just buy Sony like they're buying everybody else up or Sony and Disney will come to an agreement that will work for both. And and the thing is, what I fear is that Sony is going to lose in this situation. And Sony is going to crawl back and they're going to get even a worse deal than whatever deal they had prior to the MCU. And now this is one thing that does upset me, though, is that Feige did say, like, well, we told the Spider-Man stories that we wanted to tell. I, I believe that was Feige. If not, that it was someone within uh, Marvel that said that and especially when you look at how the end of Far From Home is like no that's you haven't finished telling that story you haven't finished his arc like you gave him a good setup to have a final a final film so if you wanted to say okay after his third solo movie then his arc was complete then I'd agree but you're right now in Andrew Garfield territory you've got things set up for a grander uh, number three outing, but we might not get it in the way that we were intended to get it. So those are just kind of my thoughts on that. Um, I really, really hope that they kind of come to an agreement or they um, kind of patch things up and we don't lose as fans. Because really that's, that's who loses in this situation. It's not Marvel, it's not Disney, it's not Sony, it's the fans. And it's a real shame because I've really enjoyed this iteration of, of Spider-Man. Um, it's probably, even though Toby was pretty much my favorite because, I mean, he was Spider-Man for the longest time. Uh, Tom Holland has managed to strike a great balance between the Peter Parker character and the Spider-Man character. And and I, I, I see him, like he, he just feels like Spider-Man up on the big screen. And I know that there's some people that might disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But that's as my interpretation of a comic, as a comic book fan, and as the comics of Spider-Man that I read as a kid, and um, he has been kind of the perfect balance. So, who knows? You know, maybe maybe this will be all for naught, and we'll still get that uh, great third movie, and we'll see him in the next Avengers movie. But. I'm not going to hold my breath anytime soon. We'll see what happens when these corporations decide to do what they're going to do. Um, all right. So one th other thing I wanted to talk about, because um, I, I think I teased this a few episodes ago, was doing kind of a brief recap or a brief re-review of, um, of Captain Marvel. Um, and once I rewatched it. Now, it took me a very long time to sit down and rewatch it because I really wasn't wanting to revisit it. But, you know, I bought it on 4K. I wanted to check out my 4K uh, digital or physical copy of it and see if now that I'm kind of far removed from the Brie Larson stuff, um, if I enjoyed it better. And I will say that I enjoyed it only slightly better. Um, it still has a lot of problems. The, the character changes that they made still do not work well. But 
I, I think I enjoyed it a tad bit more um, in some aspects. It looked great in 4K. Um, there was no denying that. I wasn't nearly as kind of turned off by Bree's acting, although she still has that problem of where like there's good moments and then there's really bad moments of her acting, which again, I still don't understand because she's a very talented actress. So I, I don't know what's going on there. What I really blame, and again, this she, there's no arc. There's no journey for her character in this movie. And again, with what they do to Nick Fury, I think I enjoyed it a little bit better on the Nick Fury side, except for still how he loses his eye. Because his eye is still an issue, in my opinion. And I still have a problem with him naming the, um, the, the Avengers initi Avenger Initiative after her call sign, because her call sign does not make sense of her being Avenger. You know, we have a movie called Captain America, the first Avenger. That's where the Avengers should be coming from. Carol wasn't really avenging anything. Like, Photon makes more sense as for Mar uh, Maria Rambeau's call sign. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Apologize. I may have to take a drink of water here in a second. A little dry. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to be Avenger, if your call sign's going to be Avenger, like, there's something you're avenging. And there's nothing in her life. Like, yes, she had a rough childhood her her father was o overly mean to her and when she was in training the male um cadets were tr mistreating her there's nothing she's avenging there um it's all personal vendetta it's not some great wrong or injustice that was done to her um i mean what was done to her was not right but there's nothing that she's avenging. There was no loss she was avenging. Um, so I don't, I don't like them shoehorning that um, call sign in there to be like, oh, this is what I'm going to call this initiative that I want to start up. And I do have to make a minor correction from my first episode of the podcast when I was getting really heated about the Tesseract. Uh, it had slipped in my mind that the Tesseract had been found by T Howard Stark at the end of uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, it took me re-watching that to be like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, but still, it made no sense that S.H.I.E.L.D. would just kind of misplace it. And then Marvel just takes it and no one notices it's missing during the six years that, uh, you know, Carol's been in Hala and, and with Star Force and everything. Um... It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It's lazy writing. It's trying to, you know, shoehorn her into this period of time before Iron Man and trying to make her this very important character. To which, yeah, she might be important, but there's something to be said when, when your comic has been rebooted time in and time out and the sales keep going down. Now, I read... Kelly Sue DeConnick's run for a while uh, when she relaunched Captain Marvel, and I was actually enjoying it. It was actually when she took on the title of Captain Marvel, and I and I liked it. Um, it got a little weird for me, and I, I was and then I had you know stopped picking up my comic books, and um, and so I fell out. But it, it seems like they just can't make her interesting in in even just the comic books, not necessarily even the mo the movie per se, but in the comics that there's a 
they're having a hard time writing her to where she resonates with an audience. Um, and I might get flack from some people, but I find Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, more interesting and more fun than I was, uh, than I find, at least in the comics, than I find Carol in the movies. And, I mean, her characters look going to be a little bit different, but she takes her inspiration from Captain Marvel anyways. Um, and so that's where I'm a little bit excited about uh, the uh, the Mar the Disney Plus show that they're going to be doing with her and uh, with She-Hulk and Moon Knight, as long as of course they don't, you know, push personal politics in there and try to alienate an audience. Um, I know that there's stuff going on. I've seen it on YouTube, seen it on Twitter. Um, you know, people aren't happy about this writer that's on it. She's already got per her tweets protected because she's kind of politically motivated. It's fine to be politically motivated, and it's fine to put political subtext into a show, but just don't do it overtly, and don't do it in a way that alienates your audience. So um, I'm intrigued by these shows that they've announced, but I'm also just kind of worried, especially given the state with the Marvel Comics comic books themselves, having this issue of... of um, putting in political agendas. I'm, I'm refraining from using a word because, although I don't like the word, uh, I don't want to alienate anyone that might consider themselves that type of person. It's fine. Just don't, just don't expect me necessarily to agree 100% with you, and I'm not going to expect you to agree 100% with me, but as long as we can reach a common ground on what we can agree on, I'm fine with that. So... You know, who who knows uh, where that's going to go. But uh, it's still probably my least favorite of the Marvel movies of the MCU of the first three phases. Just because it, it it's a little lacking. Now, there's one thing that they did that I really liked that I kind of wish we would have seen in Endgame. And I don't know why we didn't see it in Endgame. But was the, the mask. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with that in Captain Marvel. And I don't understand why we didn't get that in Endgame at all, in any sequence. It would have been a lot better than the CGI short hair, because that was just god-awful. But um, I, I don't hate that I own it. Uh, I will rewatch it from time to time, but it's not going to be a high-tier uh, MCU movie for me. So, uh, But I thought I'd, you know, I talked about readdressing that and seeing if I rewatched it. Um, further removed from kind of the controversy about Bree's um, uh, public uh, relations stuff with it, kind of the press tour and, and the words that she said during that. Uh, I wondered if I'd have a little bit of a different reaction to it or a different take on it. And, you know, I kind of did. So, uh, you know, there, I, I do have room for personal growth, if anyone who ever says that I don't. Um, I, I just... It wasn't necessary for Endgame. If they could have made it more connected to Endgame and made it more important, it's it could be more of a more essential MCU movie, but it's really not. Uh, I'm hoping that moving on towards the sequel, we get more of a an arc for her, a more of a journey of, of self-discovery and um, kind of going, okay, well, I'm not necessarily all-powerful. I think with from Endgame, Thanos kind of whacking her with the Power Stone... Uh, maybe that will cause Carol to be like, okay, I can get hurt. I I need to learn some things, and and go through more of a personal journey than what she did in uh, Captain Marvel or in Endgame. So, um, I think my score was 
was a three or a three point five. Whatever I scored it back on that first episode of the podcast is probably going to stay the same. I I liked it better, but not enough to really move it up in a rank. So, um, all right. One uh, another thing I'd like to, to kind of discuss is just kind of brief impressions of uh, Mindhunter season two. Uh, I'm only like three episodes in, so it's going to take me a while to get get done with it. But I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's just as good as the first season, actually, if not a little bit better, because um, everything's kind of in place now. These characters are, are set up. We know what they're trying to do. We know why uh, we're getting you know these interviews with these serial killers. I have to give them so much credit because these people that they cast as like Son of Sam or uh, Manson or um, Kemper, they try to find people who look pretty dead on. And I, and I just, it, it blows my mind. Like when you're, when you're watching episode two and they're interviewing David Berkowitz, I believe that's his name, but Son of Sam, uh, he looks just like him. And I showed it to a coworker and this, the only thing they said was this guy's too, too, uh, good looking compared to the Berkowitz because he didn't have the pock marks that Berkowitz did. And I, I kind of chuckled at that, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm liking that they're focusing on the Atlanta child murders because there was a, I think it was a TV movie made with Gregory Hines and, and, uh, Jim Belushi called, uh, who killed Atlanta's children. And, um, I don't think it got received well. I don't think it got reviewed well, but I have watched that like two or three times. I really need to get it on, on DVD or something and and watch it again. But there's just something about that, that movie and that, that whole case. I mean, it's just, it's extremely fascinating and all the kind of different, um, moving parts in it that really kind of get you scratching your head and, and not sure what happened or who actually murdered these children um so i'm really excited to see them explore this case and and see where they go with it and how they interpret it and and of course i mean it's since it's it's pretty much biographical um they're going to stick pretty much with how things turned out in reality but it'll be interesting to see them explore the different avenues of kind of the different theories of the case so uh if you have Netflix and you haven't seen Mindhunter Season 1, go watch it now. Binge it if you can. Uh, it's hard at some points to watch some certain things, but uh, it's definitely worth your time. It's very good, and uh, I highly recommend it. And I can say I probably will highly recommend Season 2 unless it completely butchers it in the like last final five or six episodes. But I don't have any... Uh, any feeling that it's going to do that so go ahead and check that out on netflix and i think this is going to bring us to our final review um of a uh more independent horror film called he's out there uh starring yvonne strasky um and i think it was it came out in 2018 uh i i, I didn't know about this movie uh it was it came up as a 4.99 weekend sale on voodoo and I watched the trailer and I was like, ooh, well, for five bucks, I, I can buy this. If I don't like it, I don't like it. Uh, I think it's Rotten Tomato score was like 50%. And I can kind of understand that. I think that I won't fall on a 50. I'll probably fall a little bit higher on it. But, uh, you know, I, I would say it's definitely one of the better slasher films I've seen in a while. 
Um, it it kind of falls in line with Hush, the Mike Flanagan one that you, I believe is still vi uh, viewable on Netflix. Um, so the basic premise is uh, you have a, a family, uh, a woman and her two young daughters are, they're going up to their um, like lake house or cabin. Uh, it's, you know, property that they've owned for a few years and that they've gone up to uh, numerous times in the past. And um, her husband has to stay behind for a, a business uh, meeting and then he'll head up uh, later. And so they get up there and um, during the night, well, the two girls, um, I'd say they're probably like 10 and 8 or, or 9 and 8. Um, they kind of are out wandering in the woods and they kind of find this like little tea party set up and um, one of the girls eats a cupcake that's out there. And she starts to get sick. And as, as this starts to go on, um, the mother realizes that there's someone stalking them. And now where this movie gets a little bit weird is, um, and, I, and I need to rewatch it again to get full context, because I was a little bit distracted when I, when I was watching it uh, today. Um, I'm not sure why this killer is, is doing this. Um, there, there is some explanation. Uh, primarily, he gives it when later on when he's looking uh, for the two girls in the house. Um, but I don't really know why he was doing it. Uh, but regardless of that, the performances are really strong. The, the two girls can get a little annoying, mainly the older one. The younger one's pretty good but the the older one has some issues with some of her acting although it's not all the time it kind of fluctuates where there's moments where you're like okay i, I believe this and then it's other moments where you're like oh my god this is really annoying if i were the mom i'd probably just smack her and tell her to shut up but um regardless of that the performances for the most part are very strong yvonne Strotsky is really great as the mother um and the killer's really good he's kind of got a little bit of of adjacent physicality to him but he he does speak but his mask is extremely creepy and i and i'm not going to do it justice trying to describe it but uh if you look up the trailer you, you'll see it in the trailer um and it's very gruesome i mean uh, there's not a whole lot of blood but but the scenes that you do get um you know you you do see someone with their eyes completely cut out uh, another person gets uh, an axe straight to the head and it's very gruesome um, and then there's some stuff done with, with that happens to the mother at, at some point. Um, but it's very effective. It's, it's definitely a very tight movie. It doesn't waste any time. And I think that's where it, it falters a little bit for me because, uh, I feel like it needed to take a little bit more time having some exposition explaining him a little bit more, the killer. Um, like I said, he has a moment where he is talking He's a little bit hard to hear, so I think I need to turn on um, uh, captions to really understand what he's saying. But um, there's doesn't really there's a rhyme and reason, but you don't really understand what the rhyme and reason is. There's really no explanation as to why uh, he's doing this, or at least that's not explained well enough. And that's really kind of where I, I have an issue with it. Other than that, uh, it's very effective. Uh, it it definitely. Uh, subverted some expectations like from some normal horror tropes and I'm um, primarily thinking about you know 
when you have a killer stalking you and you don't know he's there and you have a car what does a killer tend to do and I'm not going to say what the killer does but it was very clever it was something I was like oh I was not expecting that I was like okay that's completely different so I really like that um and I mean again it's it's very strong on the performance from from Yvonne Strosky I mean she does such a fantastic job as the mom and she's strong yet vulnerable at the same time uh you know and you really believe that she's doing everything she can to protect her two children and um and it's all pretty much set at night and so it's very dark uh they do some really creepy scenes one scene that's kind of really creepy is um you know they're waiting they're thinking that the dad's on the way and um the youngest girl maddie the one who's kind of sick at this point she goes oh he's he's here already and the mom's like what where and she goes oh out by the tree and so she goes to look out the window and the killer's there and you can't see like there's no light so you just see his his him all in black and then he just like kind of raises his hand and waves and then just starts walking away and at that moment you really see kind of the panic and and the horror rise in in Yvonne Strasky's character and it's very well done and I, I just I can't state it enough how great she is in the role and how strong her performance is in this movie and for them sticking mainly in the house for 95 percent of the film it does a really good job with the use of of the set so um i know before i had actually watched it i had sent the trailer to a co-worker and they were immediately intrigued like the trailer will grab you in so if you go to youtube just search he's out there trailer and just watch it i think it'll it'll grab you i think it'll make you interested in checking it out uh it flew completely under the radar for me and um i'm very happy that it, i got it on a sale and i i didn't feel like i wasted my money because sometimes you know you can get something even though you're getting it on a sale you still feel like you wasted it like it wasn't good enough for that five dollars this was definitely worth the five dollars and probably could have been worth for a little bit more so um again i have to highly recommend it think it's gonna fall on a four out of five maybe between a 3.5 out of four or 3.5 or four out of five um i i gotta go back and rewatch it for for the explanation scene um because i did really have a hard time understanding it and that's something i can take some points off they needed to clear his voice a little bit more uh but it's creepy voice it's it's not like the voice is done badly it's just it needed to be clearer um, and again, his physicality kind of reminds me of Jason. Um, there's some just very gruesome blood effects. There's not a whole lot of, of blood, but when it's there, it's there and it's good. So I definitely recommend you checking it out. Uh, I know you can rent it on Vudu. You can probably rent it on Amazon. I don't think it's streaming free anywhere else. I don't think you can find it on Netflix or Hulu, but, uh, yeah, go check it out. I think you'll like it if, um, you're into horror and um it's it's definitely not a waste of time it's a tight hour and 29 minute film you know it's over before you know it and it's definitely sticking with me there's an element with a book um kind of close to the babadook a little bit but i did not like the babadook and i felt like this did its book element a lot better um than that than that movie babadook was just a dumpster fire for me and i might get some hate for saying that but i just 
did not care for it. I hated the mother. I hated the son. I get that that's part of the point with it. But that whole movie just... I was not scary. I didn't care for the characters. I didn't care for the story. So this was definitely a better movie in that sense of like children in peril. And a mother doing what she can to protect her children. And... Um, and I think it did it in a shorter time. If I remember correctly, Bob Duke's like an hour and 40 minutes, maybe an hour and 50 minutes. I don't think it's as far as two hours. And uh, it just felt like that movie just pontificated and was trying to be deeper than it really was. And, I mean, I've heard other podcasts talk about it. I'm not discrediting their their critiques or their uh, reads of the film, but I don't really think it was as deep as everyone made it out to be. Um, I think people found meaning there and took it for what it was or took it for what they wanted it to be and that's fine i mean that's film is a subjective um medium you know it, it's films have different reads from different people and that's why i can't you can't let something like a rotten tomato score define whether or not you're going to go see a movie um now for me what i tend to let rotten tomatoes do is uh, if I'm feeling iffy about a movie, if it scores really low on Rotten Tomatoes, be like, okay, I can wait till it comes out on home. Doesn't mean I'm going to hate the movie. Doesn't mean I'm going to like the movie. But that's what I use Rotten Tomatoes for. If it's a movie that I'm geared up to see and it gets a low rating score on Rotten Tomatoes, I still go out and see it anyways because I tend to not have the same uh, read off of it, which is going back to like kind of that Babadook thing, you know, just because I didn't like it didn't mean that it's not a good movie or that it didn't reach other people or touch people in a different way. It just, it didn't work for me. So, um, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Well, ran, ran a little bit longer, uh, than, uh, the last week or the last episode just it looks like by about a minute, but I can talk long enough, you know, to get this a little bit longer if need be. Um, so I'm just going to run over the rules again for the, for the contest, um, a little bit more organized than at the beginning of the, of the show. Uh, so if you want to enter in to win a free digital copy of Avengers Endgame, I believe you can get it redeemed for the 4k, uh, if you have a 4k, um, TV, you must one, um, subscribe or follow the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podbean. You can follow it all three if you really want. Um, if you can go over to iTunes and leave a star rating and a review of of my work, how you feel about the podcast, you can give me a one star, you can give me a five star, you can tell me I'm complete trash, or you can tell me I'm great at what I'm doing. doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm going to take everything into consideration um, because there's things I do want to do to improve the show. Uh, I'm looking at getting a new mic. I think I finally figured out something with the sound. But I know, um, as my brother was listening to the show, he mentioned that um, it's only coming through one speaker. And I I think I know why that's happening is because with my current laptop setup, I have to use a, uh, a splitter to run my headphones and my mic through to my computer. And I think it's recording on only one channel because of that. But... Um, also, I know in the past I've done noise reduction a little bit too much, and that was because I was getting this humming noise, and, huh, lo and me, I, uh, realized it was the fan cooling unit on my, uh, laptop, a, a cooling pad I have, and so I've got that turned off for this episode, so we'll see how the sound sounds then. Um, okay, getting back on track, 
Um, so you can leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, follow on, on SoundCloud or Podbean or subscribe to iTunes. Um, write into the podcast. You can either DM me if you follow me on Twitter or you can write in the critics, not cynics at gmail.com with your favorite Avenger and why or your favorite MCU moment and why. Or you can do both, whatever you want to do. Um, they're going to be read out on on the podcast. Even the, the people who don't win will get their, their entries read. Um, because I, I'm going to talk about it myself. I think that podcast will be my podcast that focuses on my review of Adventures Endgame and Infinity War. Um, so it's going to be probably a pretty big episode on that one. And if you follow me over at Twitter at uh, CriticsNTCynics. Um, so those are the basic rules. Deadline's going to be the 29th because I'll be recording the next episode on the 30th, which will be releasing on Labor Day. Um, and then I will announce the winner on the podcast and I will be announcing on Twitter, but after the podcast airs, just to, you know, make sure my audience is listening to it. The winner needs to listen to it. Um, and then I will reach out to the winner either via Twitter or, uh, Gmail. So, uh, I look forward. I know we've got one entry currently. I'd like to see a few more entries in there. Um, you know, if you it's a free digital copy not a whole lot of work you guys got to do on there to try to win it so um all right guys i think that's going to do it for this week's episode we'll see you next week and good luck to everyone who enters into the contest